When you've won Imbibe Cocktail Bar of the Year, the Spirit Award for Best American Cocktail Bar at Tales of the Cocktail, and been shortlisted for the James Beard Foundation Award for Best Bar Program, you might rest on your laurels. Well, not our guest today. She's working as hard as ever. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. With a father in the military, Shelby Allison traveled the world as a child, but has claimed Chicago is home now. Logan Square wouldn't be the same without Lost Lake, the bar she opened more than five years ago to instant acclaim. I was in Chicago for a small break and was able to meet her at Lost Lake. Five minutes after it opened, the seats were full and the drinks were ordered. After taking the first sip, I now want Lost Lake to be my local. Here's Shelby relating how it all happened. So I was born in Texas. Um, My dad was a brand new pilot in the Air Force. And so um, where I was born in the timeline of his career led us to move a lot. Um, I went to 11 schools growing up. I lived in a bunch of different places. I just moved from my longest residence, like my longest held address just last year. How Um, long was that? And that was five years. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Was it always in the U.S.? No, so I lived in um, Ipswich, like in Suffolk in in England. Um, That was my second longest held address. That was for four years. Um, Yeah, so I kind of grew up all over, mostly between North Carolina um, and Las Vegas. Yeah. And how long? So about, you said the longest was five years. So how long was like each Two years, pretty much two or three years every time. It's amazing yeah. you're not an actor. Usually those are always <laughs> actors, right? <laughs> because you always have to get to know people. Yeah. Well, hospitality is kind of a form of theater, maybe. You could look at it that way. We kind of like, uh, Lost Lake is, involves costumery and set and design and atmosphere. And it kind of uh, creates these immersive experiences for people. So maybe that's, maybe that's where that comes from. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, exactly. You're absolutely right. Um, and so were you ever thinking I'm going to be in the military? You know what? I, I wanted to like blurt out no, but there was like one month probably in college where I actually went to the Air Force recruiter and I was like, I want to be a gynecologist. And I talked to them and then I didn't do it. So <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I took eight years to finish my bachelor's degree in Las Vegas. Um so I'm, well, not, I'm, very, I'm not very studious no. English. <laughs> well, I studied a bunch of things. Like I literally changed my major to pre-med, which is so silly. If you know me at all, I just, my brain is not wired for like science or math at all. Um, so I just kind of like, well, in that little time you thought yeah, you were going to be, maybe, yeah. I don't know. But then I went, uh, like towards the end of that eight year period, I just went into my advisor for the first time in my college career and asked what I could get the fastest. And it was a degree in English. So after, but this was, so you went, did you go I in was as, just like, did you go in down. as pre-med? No, I went in as an art major. Who knows? I just dilly dallied all around. And the thing that I found that I loved the most was working in restaurants. So, okay. Well now when yeah. did that start? Right away. So in 2003, I got my first job at a restaurant. I worked at Wolfgang Puck's 
Postrio in the Venetian in Las Vegas. It was so adult. It was like my first adult job. It felt that way. Um, Everyone was dressed up when they came to dinner there. Celebrities came in. Um, I was a host. Um, It felt just like hosting a party every night. I was like immediately addicted. And this is while you were studying art? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so what were you doing for them? I was hosting. Um, so I worked there for a couple of years. I worked at a couple of their of Wolfgang Puck Fine Dining Group restaurants. I worked at Chinois, was it, which was at the um, in the forum shops at Caesar's Palace. And then I worked at, um, at Postrio. Um, and yeah, I eventually like worked up to being like one of the lead hosts there, which is um, really like some of the hardest work I've ever done. Um, so tell me, what is hosting really? Is it just greeting people, seating them? Yeah, so it's managing the flow of a, of a restaurant that does like 700 covers a night God. in the middle of a major tourist attraction, balancing two, there were two restaurants really. There was like a casual cafe that was quote, outdoors because it looked like you were in St. Mark's Square and there were like roaming opera singers and stuff. And then there was a fine dining dining room inside which was designed by Barbara Lazaroff, who was Wolfgang Puck's like ex-wife I think and it was just so 90s and like all this like wild stained glass and velvet and um yeah like it was uh it was a lot to balance um explaining managing people's expectations making sure servers all got the same amount of covers working with the kitchen you know it's like it's um a job that gets denigrated as like a being a teenage girl's job but it is extremely high pressure and you know it also that's where a lot of my first encounters with like harassment came from because um there was such a focus on um what you were wearing and the way that you looked and how that was selling a particular image or experience for people that were coming to the restaurant. And there were also like tons of shenanigans that went on between staff and managers and everything. And so it was the first time that I saw the kind of like a glimpse into like the um, darker side of, of restaurant life that is now kind of like being <laughs> held to account a little bit more, definitely way more than it was at that time. But you were still attracted to it. Yeah, still attracted to it. Um, Still thought that, like, getting dressed up and going to work at night and helping people celebrate or commiserate or just, like, have a really special night out was one of my favorite things that I've ever done. It's amazing. Um, What do you think led you to um, start finding yourself behind a bar? Because you're in the front right (laughs) now. Well, I'm not really behind the bar. Like I, um, my business partner and I actually met at that restaurant, Postrio, and uh, Paul was behind the bar and I was at the host stand and they were like next to each other. I used to watch the bartenders all the time and definitely thought it was like the coolest job you could have in Las Vegas. But the way that things were then, and I think the way they are at a lot of places still, is that depending on your identity or various factors of your identity, your gender, your race, your immigration status whatever like you have a particular track cut out for you or prescribed to you and so um I never saw women bartending unless they were in nightclubs and wearing like bustiers and stuff so I kind of just didn't think of it as an as a um an option for me um so when I when we opened Lost Lake like less than five years ago that was the first time I ever bartended I just like never 
I just did every single other thing in this industry besides be behind the bar. Um, I start, Paul gave me a bartending lesson, like in order to not be essentially held hostage by a bad bartender that I had wanted to fire and didn't have anyone to cover their shifts. And I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to like be held hostage by this situation anymore. I can do it. So I did. And so every once in a while I'll pick up a shift, but I just had a baby this summer, so it's like very rare now that I that I see myself back there late. It's made sure you're even here right now. I can't even stay up like eight o'clock anymore. (laughs) So back to those early days when you were hostessing. Now you technically were there to get a degree, right? You're at university in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. you're You're University of Nevada, right? Um, Did you always kind of have one foot in there? Do you think that's why it took you eight years? Is that you kind of really, really wanted to do this, but you think you should (laughs) do that? Well, you make such great money working in restaurants there, especially then it was, you know, the early 2000s was booming. Every bartender and server that I worked with, like owned two homes. You know what I mean? Like it was Las Vegas in the early aughts. It was wild. So, um, I rarely wanted to go to class because I made a bunch of money working and then would like go out and, you know, it's a hard place to be a student. I think, especially if you're if you're like falling in love with the hospitality industry mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, I eventually started doing some other things. I, I, I was writing for a little while. Every magazine or every casino in Las Vegas has their own in-house magazine and they pay great. And so I was making great money doing that. And yeah, what were you writing about? Seemed- hospitality design, doing profiles on different people that owned shops and any of the various malls that were in each casino. And yeah, just super fluffy. Is that when you changed from pre-med to English? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Was there a time when you thought, I've just got to forget it, forget the degrees? Well, I just so know that hospitality is my life. Well, I was just so close to finishing and I I knew I could get a bachelor's in something. And that was like a few more English classes and Mm -hmm. I just tied it up and... Mm -hmm put it away you have your diploma hung up somewhere I I don't even know where it is yeah (laughs) and then you just think okay great now I can do what I want to do yeah totally so I used the experience that I had both in restaurants and in writing and when I moved to Chicago I got an internship at a PR agency that specialized in restaurants and hotels at Wagstaff Worldwide Um, and I was there for like a teeny tiny bit I worked the Trump Hotel was actually one of their clients and they were it was just opening in Chicago and I like wrote one press release about their like pet friendly program or something and then I was like I'm better than this and I like quit (laughs) all right wait wait. back up for a sec okay um because we're already in Chicago now yeah but you we just left you in Mm -hmm. Las Vegas so why did you decide to come to Chicago so one by one my friends from my time in high school in Las Vegas um in the first part of my high school life when I lived there um were moving to Chicago. One was moving to go to Columbia here. One was moving just to be here. And it just like, I was really getting tired of living in Las Vegas. It's a very exhausting place to be. Um, It didn't feel like I had any like real um, connections or like friend, like family friend there, you know, like chosen family or whatever. And so um, I really wanted to go to Chicago and, um, Paul and I were married at the time, actually, we're not married anymore, Um, but we, um, 
decided together that we would like go on a trip out there. And so we went to Chicago and we went to the Violet Hour and it was like wonderful and so cool. And we there were a couple other places. Charles Jolie was still at this place called The Drawing Room. There was this guy, Tim Lacey, that was overseeing Custom House. There were just like fun things happening in, in, with cocktails that weren't happening in Las Vegas. Um, and so one of my girl, one of my very good friends, oldest friends, um, Katie Ercioli, she hooked us up with these two guys that she knew that were opening a bar um, and they wanted like a head bartender or whatever. And they were just going to be a shot in a beer place that also played music. But Paul and I were really anxious to like leave Las Vegas behind and kind of do something new. And so he took that job. I took the internship. And we came to Chicago um, and the Whistler was, which is the bar that the two guys were opening, you know, became like a big hit. Chicago like wrapped her arms around Paul and just thought he was like the greatest, you know, fancy bartender that had come along in a while. And um, from there it was like Chicago was home. And yeah. So how long have you been here now? Almost 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. Oh boy. So yeah. long. Yeah. Um, so when you decided, you know, you had enough of writing silly press releases, <laughs> um, what did you think was your going to be your next step? I thought it would be like in the bar and restaurant world for sure. Like I got that internship. I thought maybe I would do PR. Um, that didn't work out. So I got, I actually got another restaurant job working for Lettuce Entertain You. I was, uh, went back to hosting, which I thought would be just like, you know, I'll just do this for like a couple of months until I like figure something else out. And I ended up staying there for a year. It was at this restaurant called L2O, which was a really um, fine dining um, seafood restaurant heralded or helmed by, helmed, my baby brain is still very mushy, helmed by this chef Laurent Gras. Um, It was the most it was the most elevated service that I had ever um, worked with before. And it was just intoxicating. I loved it. Um, but the restaurant culture there was, a, again, a really like we chef, you know, like front of house, back of house, don't be friends. Like it just was kind of it was that sterile old guard way of, of being a restaurant. And it wasn't something that I liked very much. Um, so the Whistler finally got to a point where they could carry the wages of a person doing full-time like social media PR and events and so I took that job you're perfect for that yep and then that was the last that job at the Whistler was the last job that I have had a boss and that was like eight years ago (laughs) so I did I did um social media and PR for them and then I did events and stuff and so Paul was there and I was there and we started doing this tiki night well, first we started doing this party called Book Club, and we would pick a different cocktail book and, um, you know, workshop a menu together and then serve. I would design the menu and we would work on the cocktails together and then we would and then I'd do like a playlist and do like decorative elements. And then we would have oh my this God, one night this. only what a book great party. Idea. Yeah. And so we did that a couple, like, wait, a couple wait, months. Wait, wait, wait. You can't. You, you got to <laughs> slow down here now. Um, so tell me some of the books that you would pick out. Yeah. Or- so we did um, Jigger Beaker and Glass, which was a Charles H. Baker book. Um which had such wonderful and silly drinks in it, like Furpo's balloon cocktail. <laughs> and then we did um, David Wondrich's punch where we cleared out all the stools and we had like 11 punch bowls. I went and got like 11 vintage punch bowl sets and we did a different punch in each bowl. Uh, we did Jim Meehan's PDT cocktail book. 
um, they must have been hugely successful were, and popular. They were. Yeah, they were fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's lucky people the time, who knew to come. Yeah, because at the time, the Whistler was, I think, a really special place. Like, there were definitely fancy, fancy craft cocktails happening in Chicago, but the Whistler... We were selling them for $8, which was the cheapest. It was, like, very chill in there. Um, There were shows every night, like live music. Um, There was an art kind of gallery window in in front. Like, it just... It was in a neighborhood where you, like, for sure couldn't get a cab. Like, there was... You know, it was, like, not... um, It was... It just wasn't the Logan Square that we know now, which is like, you know, every other storefront is a is a bar or restaurant. But it was a fun time to be there for sure. And then in the winter, Paul and I wanted to do something that was like stupid, like fun. Like, how are we going to get people out in this shitty, like snowy weather? And so we were like, oh, let's do a tiki night. And so we ordered um, Jeff Berry's book online, Sip and Safari, and it came and we were like, these drinks are so stupid. And we like start going through the drinks and we're like, oh my God, no, actually they're really complex, really beautiful drinks. And historically speaking, like they follow the chronology of the cocktail movement. So we're all deep in this like pre-prohibition era, um, you know, old fashioned martini thing that's happening. Lots of white guys behind the bar with curly mustaches and suspenders and arm garters and stuff. Well, the next thing, you know, that's like pre-prohibition. Well, in the 30s is when tiki and bamboo bars and stuff come around. Um, Rum is plentiful tropical fruits and things like that and so it makes sense to kind of explore this so with that one night that kind of started out as a joke we quickly were schooled by Jeff Berry's like um, research and the care that he put into writing about the drinks and stuff and so from there we started doing every other book club was a tiki night <laughs> and how were, were people responding to that they, they loved just it as popular? oh my god they were wild about it, it was what great. do you think he was that made it well for some reason there was not a tiki bar in chicago and historically they've done the best in cold places because you know they provide an escape like you don't need to go to a tropical bar in florida because you your whole world is a tropical bar you know it's funny i'm thinking you know trader Vicks. wasn't there one in every single american city i guess it passed by chicago well there was so in the 40s there were here in chicago in fact it was the first american city where both john the beachcomber and trader vic had places usually they had kind of like circled one another and if someone had staked a claim on a city the other wouldn't open there uh-huh. but in chicago there was stephen crane's contiki ports there was don the beachcomber there was trader vic like there was there was chef shangri-la which is still open there was um halakahiki which was opened what are we talking the 50s, 50s and 60s it's like 40s through 60s 40, uh-huh. a long time a long time um, Contiki Ports was like the highest grossing restaurant in Chicago at the time that it was open. It was huge and, and wildly successful. And then um, Tiki died <laughs> in like the 70s. And since then, there hasn't really been, other than Halakihiki, which is in a near suburb of Chicago, but not downtown, there really hadn't been like a tropical cocktail destination. And I think generationally speaking, there was a whole lot of people that hadn't had a tropical drink other than like a weird pool drink on vacation with their family or something. No, absolutely. Yeah. It was just right place, right time. We're very lucky. Uh-huh. We're super, super lucky. So you're having these, you know, every other book club, mm-hmm. book club night is a tiki. Yeah. All right. But that's different from, you know, starting your own tiki bar. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So, so I had worked, so I had worked with Let Us Entertain You at that restaurant, L2O. 
Um, and when I left to go to the Whistler, I think that the Whistler popped up on their radar. That there's two two sons of the guy that owns Lettuce Entertain You, like had a couple restaurants downtown, and now of course they have like an empire, a little mini empire of their own. But um, they asked us if we wanted to do a bar, and what would it be? And we said we wanted to do a tiki bar, and then. Um, they were like, oh, and we didn't hear from them for a while. Because, <laughs> like, why? And they went to see the Bears play in London. And they went to this place called Mahiki. Of course. Which, of course, you know, is, like, crazy. And the people at the table next to them ordered, you know, a, a 600 euro treasure chest filled with, like, dry ice and a light-up bottle of Dom Perignon. And then they called us back. And they were like, okay, wow. <laughs> we'll do it. Thank God for that trip to London. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so that was a long time, though, because it took another, like, three years, I think, for Three Dots and a Dash to open. But Paul did a lot of work with Let Us Entertain You in the interim. And then I actually uh, co-founded and uh, operated a PR and social media company for that during that time. Um, And I worked with all all kinds of cocktail bars in Chicago. So like a lot of Heisler hospitality spots, Scofflaw helped open uh, on the PR side of things there. Um, yeah, just like a lot of, of Chicago's favorite places. I think I got, I got a chance to, to see what it was like on their teams and, and um, work with them. Yeah. And so then um, Three Dots and a Dash opened in July of 2015 is that right? 2013. It was 2013 because my nephew was born the next year. <laughs> um, 2013. And we stayed there for two years. And, um, you know, it was a it's a beautiful bar. They spared no expense. Um, it is downtown, like in the thick of of uh, of Chicago's tourism area and I think that the the scale and the scope of it was just not what we did best and mm-hmm. so um, we decided that a smaller place would be better for us like better suited to our um, style of hospitality and, and also maybe would, attention to detail attention to detail the way that we could interact with our guests um, the way that we could interact with our community, the amount of say that we had in just all all aspects of the business um, and uh, wanting to work with some like minded people that were also in business, like in the neighborhood where we lived and hang out, hung out. And so when three, uh, Lost Lake opened, Paul and I, who we, we were married when it opened, um, it was 256. It is 256 steps from my old apartment, like. It's very close. I love that you counted. Yeah. Oh, I counted. But when we got the keys, I was like, all right, don't talk. I'm counting. And we walked over. Um, But that was like a whirlwind. So we had kind of talked with our friends who have a a company called Land and Sea Department. And, you know, they own, co-own or own two really iconic Chicago places, Longman and Eagle and Parsons Chicken and Fish. And um, they were into doing some work with us. And so together we opened Lost Lake in January of 2015. Now, were you, you were coming from a tiki bar. Mm-hmm. Were you ever well, thinking? I, was, I, owned, I owned my um, PR and social media company and Paula was at the bar. 
I meant your life had been oh, yeah. tiki. Yeah. All right. So did you ever think of doing something different or conceiving something different from this? Or had you just fallen so in love with that yeah. culture and so I think that, rum? Yeah, totally. Right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. And it's a lot more fun to own a rum bar than it is to own a bourbon bar because you can go to Kentucky like all you want. But like Caribbean distilleries are way more fun to go visit. So, um you know, I'm not a I'm not a person that like loves tiki as a lifestyle. I don't um, you know, have tropical things in my house. I drink Negronis at home. Like <laughs> I don't listen to exotica music, but I just love the theater of a tropical bar. And um, you know, like I said before, it's just we were in the right place at the right time. And for some reason, that no one else ever tried to do it. Not we did our tiki nights and no one really came for it. We did open three dots and a dash and still no one opened another bar. We opened Lost Lake and still no one's opened another tropical bar. Like, I don't know. We just have our little corner market. <laughs> Which you're doing very well because you've garnered lots of awards. Yes. All right. I love the cocktails. I love rum. I love tropical drinks. Um, I love garnishing them. I love the glassware that they come in. I love the idea of putting on your costume before you come to work, like flowers, big earrings, clashing prints, like all of those things I just love so much. I love bringing people out of their lives and into somewhere else for just a short amount of time. Um, I love naming drinks with the just most ridiculous names ever. Like, I just like creating this like other universe space. Um, That's why I love this bar. (laughs) I love that too. And so what were some of the, like the first drinks that you created for here? Um, for Lost Lake, it was actually Lost Lake herself was a drink from our um, earlier Tiki Nights at the Whistler. And um, another drink that came over with us from from both of those places were was Bunny's Banana Daiquiri. And those are two drinks that will be on our menu always and always. All right. um, of course, you have to tell me about the Lost Lake and how you got the name and all of that. Yeah. So Lost Lake, so we were doing the Tiki Nights at the Whistler and my friend Allie went um, camping like around Mount Hood in Washington, in Washington. And um, there was a place, there's like a, there's like a Lost Lake there. <laughs> and it, it like drains into this like volcanic hole and then like comes back up, I think is how it got its name. But she said, oh, this would be such a great name for one of your Tiki drinks. And I was like, okay. And I just kind of like put it on my list. It's and rom- then very romantic. Right. Totally. And so we made the drink and then, okay. And then, you know, now, you know, fast forward a few years and it's time to name this bar. And that one just like kept staying on my list. And I think that it, the thing that I like about naming drinks and and naming anything really is that you can have like a real narrative from that. And I feel like Lost Lake has that narrative. Like it feels like a place to be found or a place to escape to. It references the lake that, you know, we have here in Chicago, which if you've never been like I hadn't when I came here the first time, the first time you look at it, it like takes your breath away. It looks like the ocean. It's like this turquoise blue color. It's, you know, as far as the eye can see, you can't see the other side. Like it looks gorgeous. And so that name just kind of like within it with it it's like a short simple name has nice two l's good logo potential but other than that you know i think it holds this whole narrative within it and the cocktail 
And the cocktail is a riff on an old drink from the Violet Hour called the Riviera, which was a combination of Campari, Maraschino, and pineapple. Um, that one was with gin, and so of course we made ours with rum and um, added a little passion fruit because of course, and then yeah, it's a really, really simple drink. And yeah. so you said that you love going to a rum distillery. Have you been able to go to a lot now? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. I mean, I've been, yes, very fortunate to go to a couple different countries to visit distilleries. Yeah. What makes you think they're so much fun? Well, first of all, I mean, drinking rum in a tropical place is like the best. You're usually eating fried fish or like conch fritters. Uh, plantains you're drinking rum with fresh lime or just on its own and um i the, the way a rum distillery smells is so fabulous it's like the most putrid rotten smell but is somehow like so pleasing um and yeah i don't know they're always on the beach <laughs> now back to your cocktail menu yeah you said there was another drink that you always have on the menu yes bunny's banana daiquiri so that's a drink that Paul made for my birthday. It's a whole banana, fresh coconut cream, a um, little tiny bit of lime juice, nutmeg, demerara syrup. It's also, it's another super simple drink. Yeah, with no fake banana and no fake coconut. <laughs> Never. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's like a very serious drink, but with a very whimsical garnish, because that is where the banana dolphin lives. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love that there's a banana dolphin. Yeah. Too. Um, now... Back to the awards. Um, we had said before that, you know, you had been on the list for the Spirit <laughs> Award for a long time. Um, obviously, the work that you're doing here is so fantastic. But, you know, there are a lot of horrors in America. Mm -hmm. The first time where you were on the list, mm -hmm. was it a surprise? Oh, it was or? thrilling. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was thrilling. So when we were at Three Dots and a Dash, we won the Tales of the Cocktail Award for Best New American Bar. And I and we also made it on the World's 50 Best list, both of which I didn't really, I hadn't really grasped what that could mean for a, a business. Um, when we, so I, I don't know, this was also in the old days of Tales of the Cocktail where there's lots of rumors as to like how these awards were granted and and you know what games you had to play to get on the list and what, what how transparent or fair really were they and so I kind of was always suspicious of them I mean I still have a healthy suspicion of awards in general but um yeah so when Lost Lake made it on the we made it on the long list of a Tales Award the first year that we were open I think maybe best new but we didn't make it. We didn't get it. Um, but that year we were in Vibe Magazine's Cocktail Bar of the Year. And then the following year we made it on our first semi-finalist list for James Beard Award, which was like the true thrilling moment of my entire life. Um, and uh, every year after that we've made, we've been a semi-finalist for a James Beard Award, except for last year we were a finalist, which was even cooler. Um, but yeah. And then, so when did we win? So in the summer of 2017, I think we won the best American cocktail bar at Tails. 
And that that's the first year since the new ownership of Tales of the Cocktail came around. And to be honest, I think that that sweetened it a lot more. I don't think I would have been proud to have won the award under the old leadership. Um, but, you know, with the new people that are running the conference, it's very clear that they're trying, that they take very seriously their position in our industry, which is that of like a very influential leader. And, and they're changing the things that they're talking about and the way that they're talking about. Absolutely. And it meant a lot to me that we won that year because when I look at bar teams, you know, and how they've changed since since I first started as a host in, you know, 2003 to now, you know, like we have one straight white guy on our bar team and that's just not what things looked like back then. And to be able to take the stage with the women that I work with every day, you know, we have um, a mostly woman staff. We have so many people of color, so many queer folks that work on our team, they shape the personality and the ethos of this bar. And they really, you know, they really just embody like the wonderful hospitality and creativity that is happening here in and a reflect way. the world yeah. we live in. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Should we go toast to that okay. with one of your cocktails? <laughs> sure. While the drinks were being made, Shelby brought up Chicago style the annual cocktail conference she organizes. I stopped her and turned on my microphone because everyone should know about this. So Chicago Style is a conference, a yearly conference that I organize with two friends, um, Caitlin Lehman, who is an incredible bartender, and she was like the third speed rack champion, and she used to run this bar called um, uh, Trick Dog in San Francisco, and then um, just most recently she was running the beverage program at the Ace Hotel here in Chicago. She's incredibly talented and wonderful. And Sharon Bronstein, who is the VP of Marketing for Ford's Gin, which is a wonderful gin that we all love and yeah and so the three of us were kind of chatting about how and again this is like before tales kind of had their big um restructuring um and we were talking about how there weren't any cocktail conferences that we wanted to go to and how come people weren't talking about this or talking about that and you know what was the change we wanted to see in this little corner of the world um and we met with our friend lynette morero who is a founder of, of speed rack which is an incredibly important um speed bartending competition for women it's done so much work to elevate uh the to elevate women in our in in our industry and it's made it like it's one of those really great kind of tricky ways that have helped women get into positions of leadership because it made having a girl bar manager or like beverage director a cool thing which has been incredible for like us as an industry um Anyway, we were having dinner together and Lynette was talking about how they wanted to move the Speed Rack National Finals to another city. And, you know, the three of us kind of blurt out, oh, you should have it at our cocktail conference. And she's like, "Okay, let me think about it. And a few days later, she calls back and says, yeah, we would like to. And so then the three of us, Caitlin, Claire or Caitlin, Sharon, Claire is Caitlin's wife. Hi. (laughs) Caitlin, Sharon and I got together and we were like, all right, well, we got to make a cocktail conference. Yeah. <laughs> so Chicago Style happens in May every year, and we address um, through three days of programming um, topics that surround safety, sustainability, equity, inclusion, um, accessibility, things that we want to make, uh, things that we want to have conversations about that will help make this 
industry safer, more nurturing for women, for people of color, for queer folks. Like we, we want to be the change. <laughs> use our platform, our privilege, the attention that we've gotten by being, you know, like white women in this industry and help shine that light and leverage that that platform for other people. Sounds great. I can't wait to come. Yes, please do. If you're in Chicago May 5th through 7th or want to learn more about cocktails from the best, head to Chicago Style. Find out more at drinkchicagostyle.com. Thanks to Shelby for her hospitality. It was great to meet her and experience the fabulous Lost Lake. And what were we drinking? Well, it had to be the eponymous cocktail itself. And of course, it's our cocktail of the week. Created by Paul McGee, the other founder of Lost Lake, and as he calls it, tropical, complex, and modern, the Lost Lake, our cocktail of the week, was an instant tiki classic. Mixing Campari, rum, passion fruit, pineapple, and lime. Combine all these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with one cup of crushed ice, two ounces of plantation Ixmaca, 0.75 ounces of passion fruit syrup, 0.75 ounces of fresh lime, 0.5 ounces of fresh pineapple juice, 0.25 ounces of Campari and 0.25 ounces of Luxardo Maraschino. Then blend for three seconds using a single spindle drink mixer. Pour it all into a tropical glass, top with more crushed ice, and garnish tropically. You'll find this recipe, more rum recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. I Love the Trader Vicks is still open in London. Actually, one of my first guests on Lush Life was a bartender there. I'll never forget him telling me that he loved his job because being a Trader Vicks made him feel he was home in the Philippines again. I also remember his boss asking me where we were shooting, and I had to remind him it was a podcast, not a video. It happens all the time. If you live for Lush Life, would you consider supporting us by buying us a coffee? Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash lushlife and you can donate once or monthly to make sure we are still here every Tuesday. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terror and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Okay, the second part was mine. So next time on Lush Life, we meet even more of those from Chicago who are making the cocktails we love to drink. Until that time, bottoms up.